Hello for Thursday, June 13th, 2019. This is the BrianMadden.com podcast. I am Jack Madden recording here from the San Francisco Tech Target studio. And in New York, I'm joined by Aaron and Russ. Why don't you uh, say hello and introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Russ Moore. Uh, work for Mobile Iron. Uh, you might know us as an MDM. Uh, we like to call ourselves a UEM, Unified uh, Endpoint Management, as well as uh, Mobile Security. Been at Mobile Iron for about seven and a half years now. And I've been working with this guy for a while. He's one of our partners. I'm Aaron Freimark, and I'm the, uh, the founder and the CEO of Ground Control which uh, is uh, is a system to accompany MDM and to help, especially with shared devices. But I've been in the iPhone, iOS management business for a long time, just like just like you. So it's great. So, hey, Jack, thank you for having us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I should mention for um, a lot of listeners probably know that this is, I don't know, the second, third, fourth time we've done one of these podcasts to talk about uh, all the new Apple management updates. And this one is a big one. So we're like a week and a half after WWDC. Uh, and that device management session was on Friday afternoon. Uh, so then we had very little time. I, I know I, I was working on um, an article Sunday afternoon to get out on the website for, for Monday. And I, I got up to like, 2000 words long and it's like well i'm only halfway through covering all the new stuff that was announced so that ended up being a, a, a two-parter but um to me this is this is the biggest release i mean this is definitely since ios 7 but it seems like the biggest batch of new mdm stuff like ever it's it's not just like hey here's new settings that you can turn on it's here's a whole new way of thinking about things and um and, and there's there's several new fronts in that way. It's like Apple's been working on all this stuff for three years or so and then finally reveals it all and then, you know, gives MDM vendors like you about three months to catch up before release, right? Yeah, it's going to be a <laughs> lot of work this time around. So, uh, you know, we're used to having, uh, oh, at least over the last couple of years, Apple's conditioned us to... Uh, have some more time because they have a dot three release um, that has most of the enterprise content and either this time it didn't make it in time or the message was so significant to Apple around security and privacy that they decided all of this enterprise content on purpose is going to go in the iOS 13 release. We're going to mention it in the keynote and we're going to reveal some very significant changes uh, to the way devices are managed. We took these different points that, that were announced and we kind of um, divided them up. So I'll go ahead and launch into first. So, um, and, and this for for those of you that have been reading the website for, for a long time, or those of you that um, have listened to some of our podcasts for uh, a long time. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned, oh, they must've been working on this stuff for like three years now, um, because I think it was it was close to three years ago when I first wrote the article that was like, Hey, if you just look at where the iOS MDM protocol is for BYOD, clearly all the work is happening on the the supervised side. On the BYOD side, we had all sorts of complaints that basically amounted to the degree of data separation and the amount of user privacy just wasn't where people wanted to uh, wanted it to be. 
And of course, in like the standard MDM enrollment mode, there's always been the option like vendors could just decide not to take all of those remote access rights and say that, hey, um, because of course they they can, when they uh, enroll a device, they can set a flag that says, you know, does this MDM server have the right to see all the apps installed on the device? Does it have the right to see, to, to erase the device or anything like that? Um, but just having the options to take or not take those permissions seemed to be not enough. And, and, um, maybe, maybe on your, on your side, you guys know, like, it, it seemed like those variable management, uh, or those variable remote access right permissions never really got used to the degree that they could have been. I mean, it seemed like pretty much everybody just took them all by default and implemented any privacy thing on the server side. Uh, well, we did see deployments uh, where administratively some companies would take away the ability to uh, view the location. Um, so we would never prompt you for location, for example, um, for a subset of devices um, or take away the ability to wipe. Um, of course, we always had that in RBAC. So you could create an, you could have an admin that just couldn't do a wipe um, or you could have BYOD devices that you just couldn't wipe. But you're right, Jack. It wasn't that common it took a certain type of company that had you know was really concerned about privacy and it wasn't always yeah. well communicated to the user right i mean it's it's you know so many users are conditioned to you just click next on whatever dialogue comes mm -hmm. up right and especially from apple right <laughs> yeah yeah it's okay just click next and go you know okay and and install and whatever because i want to get to my email mm -hmm. you know it's like it might say important things about what you can and cannot do but it's not that, that whole privacy idea wasn't a big deal before at all. It was like people really, you know, you heard some cases about some doctor saying, no, I don't want to have this stuff on my phone. But I think by and large, you know, it's, it's iPhones are all over the enterprise. You know, this hasn't really held thing. Has it? Has this really held things back? It, it's, so I don't far? think so, but there, there's more devices out there because some users insisted on carrying two devices, but I don't think it slowed things down very much. Or, or maybe sometimes it's a it's a generational thing. I just know that um, even today in 2019, in the Bay Area, uh, where where everybody's progressive and and into the latest tech and everything, I see a lot of people carrying two phones. And of course, like five years ago, the much more idealistic version of me would have been like, no, don't you know all these things that you can do with uh, all different flavors of mobile app management. And so for one, for one, I've um, just gotten a lot more pragmatic about it. But either way, there there are plenty of people out there. Um, how many? Uh, I guess we'll 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 find out because when we see how many more enrollments uh, happen. But there, there there are plenty of people out there where uh, a regular MDM enrollment either they're just uncomfortable with the privacy or it it doesn't work for them for one reason or another. So. With with that bit of background, and I, I have a, a much longer bit, uh, article that covers that background, but the, the, the news for iOS 13 is a new form of MDM called user enrollment. And this, uh, this builds on the existing MDM protocol, um, but it has 
um, much more limited management and rights, and it, it's limited to what it can configure. Yeah. And it's based on a couple of other concepts, including uh, some more data separation features at the operating system level and managed Apple IDs. Hey, Jack, I just got a question for you. When you wrote your article about BYOD on, on iPhones, like, Three years ago, did you know you were writing a product specification? <laughs> did they thank you in the iOS 13 release notes, Jack? I well, well so it, it, it's funny. I, I I suggested one like Apple could just encourage more EMM vendors to use minimal access rights, or the other idea was like, or they could just make like a new MDM mode catered towards BYOD with limited rights and. So, but, you know, as much as I'd like to take credit for it, um, by all the conversations that we've been having in the industry for the last couple of years, I know that this topic has been on everybody's mind. Under, under user enrollment, here's what, here's what an MDM server cannot do. And I'm kind of summarizing from my article from this week. Uh, so the MDM server cannot erase the device. It cannot see what personal apps the user has installed. Uh, it can still see which apps the MDM server has installed, but not the personal ones. It cannot clear the device passcode. It cannot set a long and complex device passcode. It cannot configure a device-wide VPN or Wi-Fi proxy. It cannot see device identifiers like UDIC or the serial number or the IMEI. And there are a lot of various device-wide restrictions, which you'll just have to go into documentation and see. Um, but there are a lot of former restrictions that it just can't do. And again, this is all in the name of protecting user privacy. Is, is there anything big in there that I missed? I think that's uh, most of it about the things it cannot do. Yeah. It's about security um, and it's about privacy overall. And that's those were almost the first words out of you know their mouths at the 303 session that they, they broadcast about this. Right, right. And, and so it's limited to the subset. So it can install and configure uh, enterprise apps and accounts. Um, it can enforce a six-digit passcode. It can query the device for data related to those apps and those any enterprise deployed uh, or MDM deployed certificate and profiles. Uh, it can configure per app VPN. With some limitations, right? And it can f enforce some restrictions like managed opening and managed contacts and managed data on the, on the lock screen. And so, so here's, here's where we think, I think though we get into questions about like where this is going to be great and the best thing since sliced bread and where we get into questions about it. So basically, user en enrollment works the way that most employees have been assuming MDM has worked all of this time. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> no, I hear a lot of big, uh, I don't want that. Big Brother is watching me and are they? can they see my text messages? I don't think that they assume that that's the way it works. I think they assume that the company can see more than they can actually see. That's what I've seen. Huh. I, I just wonder if that's what gets up to you. Because I know most people, it's just like, yeah, this is like, I use this from because I need it for email. I, mm -hmm. This is this is this is what they made me do to get email on my phone, and I can remove it, but then my email goes away. Uh, they don't necessarily know. I mean, look, you, you know, we're we're three kind of special people here who talk about the ins and outs <laughs> of this special. stuff. It's it's mo most people don't know, and this is kind of my point here. I mean, we get into some of the technical stuff, which is really interesting, but I think. I, I think what's happening here is Apple is doing the right thing and which happens to, well, it's not coincidental, but align with this 
huge privacy forward stance of Apple, but they didn't really have to do it, right? I mean, but aligning everything together really, really enforces the message. And, and I think for the first time I can remember, Apple's enterprise push and enterprise products are really well aligned with the messaging of their, of their personal products, right? I it's would like, agree. Yep. it was for a long time. It's like, well, the, you can do anything on the personal product, but here's all the tools to lock down the enterprise product. Jack, that's what, what you were saying about all the supervised features and everything like that. And now for the first time, it's totally aligned. It's like, you can do it, but you got sign in with Apple and that's going to protect your privacy. And we got this like partitioned MDM system and user enrollment that's totally separate. That's going to protect all of your personal stuff too. And we're looking out for you. You can trust us. We're the world's largest company, but you can trust us. And that's what Bob Waitman said uh, in session 303. He said, you know, for a long time, you know, they've had too much control and now we're, we're kind of realigning that. Well, so, so, so here, here's, here's the thing. I think we can, we can sit around in the room all, all day and talk about, um, you know, what's, how different users feel about MDM. And the, the, the bottom line is that there are, sure, there are plenty of users like, yeah, whatever you have to do to get my email on my phone, just make it happen. Um, and there are also plenty of users that are like, no, I'm not doing this. MDM thing on my phone. I don't want the man on my phone. And then there are also plenty of situations still where, um, like things like contractors, where um, enrolling the, a, a phone even with in user enrollment mode can only be associated with one MDM server at a time. There's just like so many different use cases and scenarios. And so where user enrollment will have uh, will, will have an effect. We can we can assume sure some some number of users that didn't want to enroll before for privacy re- reasons we can assume will now be open to enrolling. Although I guess maybe if they weren't going to enroll and trust their company before, maybe <laughs> maybe they still won't trust their company. But it's it's another tool in the toolbox that that gives us more options, and it happens to be one of the one of the biggest new sets of tools that Apple has given us in in years so so i i think even even the fact that it's such a big uh release for mdm is almost as big as the fact that we get this new tool yeah i have a prediction to make so you mentioned one mdm per phone even for user enrollment i predict that in 2020 will it be allowed multiple mdms on a phone that's your prediction that's my prediction Uh, i don't think so (laughs) no because there's no there's no reason not to now you're separate apps, you you you. It's tied. It's tied apps. to a maid or a managed Apple ID. Yeah, you have separate yeah. managed Apple IDs. It just shows up an account. It's but not like. But what they've said is it's 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 two personas and one identity. Yeah. Uh, even though I mean, actually, there are. I'm two not identities. saying multi-user. I'm saying multi-MDM for the for the contractor example, where you know, the doctor is the classic one, right? I got different hospitals that I'm affiliated with, and I want to get email at each of them, and I need MDM at each of them. Yeah. So now I got different phones in my bag. Yeah, I I I, th- I think that could be. Um, my guess is that, and, and this conversation also happens a lot about Android Enterprise work profiles. When can we have multiple work profiles? My guess is that one of the big concerns is resource utilization on the phone. And if you have all of these all of these accounts going, you know how much uh, how much is that going to take? I have a second prediction. Next year, phones will be more powerful. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way that's going to come no. true. No. How could they be more powerful? 
Okay. <laughs> well, well, so where and when user enrollment becomes like the, the optimal choice, that's kind of the conversation that we'll be, we're going to be having that conversation for, you know, from now until the rest of the time, just like for years we've been having when to enroll and when to do MAM only discussions. So um, welcome to this new component of, of the discussion. So one of the things, one of the things I wanted to just mention about the user enrollment and about like the big picture sort of stuff and like what we like talking about on these things, um, that it's, it's an option, right? I mean, it doesn't, it's not, Apple's not forcing anybody to use user enrollment. They still have, they no. haven't deprecated the old way of doing it. Right. Which is the current thing, right? And right. that works. And that's a really good thing that they haven't deprecated that because, you know, again, there's only three months for, for MDM to put this into place. I I am 99% sure Apple did not let in the MDM vendors in advance into what's going on. Yeah. Right. So, but, but will they deprecate it? You know, there's a couple of things that you can't do with user enrollment. Um, one of them is you can't do device wide VPN. You can't, uh, you can't transport any traffic with a VPN that doesn't belong to your second level domain. So acme.com is my domain. I can only route traffic to. You know, mail.acme.com. Not yeah, well, but, but I guess what maybe what I hear you saying is that it's not only the MDM that has to provide support for user enrollment. Businesses have to change their policies, right? If you've got a full device-wide MDM, which is possible now on a non-supervised device, then I'm not going to allow that in the new enrollment method, which means now I need to put in an infrastructure in for per app VPN. But you may have bought infrastructure that requires a device, <laughs> a full device VPN. Like, you know, for example, there's markets like uh, CASB, right? This is a, a server that sits out outside of your cloud infrastructure. All the traffic goes through it and it analyzes the traffic and uh, does, you know, some user analytics behavior. Well, so that's the one definitely if... Uh if, if if my company is is putting a a full VPN on my phone and and running it all through a Casby so that they can see if I'm using Dropbox or not, then um, yeah, then I'm using two phones. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good use case for it. But I mean, look, there are there are a lot of companies buying Casbys, um, and then you know, there's a lot of there's some off products, including you know, Mobile Iron Access. Where sometimes, you know, if you log yeah. on to Salesforce, um, we'll be the relying trust party for your yeah. authentication and we, we will tunnel that traffic. So there's some challenges that, um, you know, we're certainly going to have to look at mobile iron. Uh, admins are, are going to have to take a good look at their infrastructure and say, you know, if I, if I deploy user enrollment, is this going to affect, you know, the way I'm doing business today? It's easy to look down the road and see a situation where you could kind of make this black and white decision. Uh, is it a BYOD device? Then it should be user enrollment. And is it a corporate-owned device? Then it should be. Uh, then it should be automated device enrollment, so that, that so that somebody can walk off, off can't walk off with it. And if you're in that situation, then you're like, well, so device enrollment is just kind of in the middle. And then what do what we use that for? Um, side note here. So if you're following along at home. Um, uh, DEP, which I know we're not supposed to say DEP or DEP, we're supposed to say device enrollment program, of course, as we discussed on a previous podcast, is now automated device enrollment. And with user yes. enrollment being the new mode, 
than what was formerly known as like regular old standard MDM, which is probably about how I usually wrote it in articles, of course, is now just device enrollment. So the question is, where do you use those middle capabilities? Um, you talked about a few of them, uh, but of course, the other the other big thing is that device enrollment, as we or user enrollment, as we briefly mentioned, requires an Apple ID. Creating a managed Apple ID requires Apple Business Manager or Apple School Manager, and of course, ABM and ASM are not in every country yet. I, I went to the page and counted up, and they're in about sixty five countries. So that covers a lot of users, but they're. There are a lot of places where you can't use uh, ABM or, or ASM yet. Yeah, and it's also supervision has been around since what I was four, I think, if I remember right. I mean, it, but it, but you know, in the first years of ground control, we spent all our time teaching people what supervision was, um, and it wasn't until Apple really started pushing device enrollment program and talking about supervision that that it became known and it became a requirement for so many businesses. I mean, it takes years really for these things to filter through, you know, down to users. There's always going to be use cases where this becomes interesting and more important. Um, I, I think it's going to take a long time for every single MDM vendor to get all of this stuff working and right. It's going to take a while for Apple to get it right. I mean, it's it's Apple came out with device enrollment program in 7.0, but it didn't work until 7.1. Um, and it's, you know, and that was like the spring or something, if I remember right, you know, or January. It yep. was like, it was, it was, Four or five months afterwards. Not that this stuff's going to ship broken, um, but it's that, you know, there's, there's a lot of complexity and a lot of connections there. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of things that were talked about in the keynote that were not demonstrated and that have no documentation and that we've never seen a video about. Um, right. There's supposed to be federated enrollment of your managed Apple ID. We, we don't know what that means. There's supposed to be your DEP login can now use. Uh, modern auth. modern authentication and and we don't really know what that means and what it looks like or how you set it up so you know that's not why we're having a podcast to know to talk yeah. about. we don't know so well, so, so <laughs> a, 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 I'll, I'll just mention a few more questions that came up with um with user enrollment so so one of them is was yeah there's that issue of a lot of people just aren't going to have access to this then the next question um is of course that with with user enrollment, if the user already has an app installed and you want to use it as a managed app, the MDM server can't take over management of that app. So I guess we just assume that the installation will will also fail, and then the user just doesn't do that app, and 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 then what happens? Do you just Send that user uh, like an email. I know what like, happens. <laughs> be like, hey, we kind of want to use. Russ? <laughs> I know what happens because I asked Apple and someone told okay. me. So let's say you have a device and you want to install an app like Salesforce, yet the employee has already downloaded it. Um, so this is a, a UEMDM. So uh, user enrollment MDM. Uh, that's a new acronym uh, for you guys. So when when MDM tries to install it, it will fail. A meaningful error will be returned, like that app already exists. Uh, return to the MDM. Return though. to the MDM okay. to be displayed uh, uh, somewhere to the admin. You know why did right. this? Why did okay. this not work? Um, because you know with UEMDM we can't actually see what 
apps are on the device, of course. We don't collect that information anymore unless they're managed apps. Right. So you gotta so, push it blind so anyway. We we gotta push it blind, we gotta guess. <laughs> okay. But um but so you, know, now you know what it, apps are there. Yeah, the end user yeah. isn't is <laughs> well privacy now, flag. There, there is some there is something about that though. So once so, so Apple randomly fails app installations just to put some noise in the signal. <laughs> well, this is a no- <laughs> no, speaking of noise. This it. is a noisy way to find out yeah. what what apps the employee actually has on their device. The, the interesting <laughs> the interesting thing is if if I try and deploy the app and I get that if I get that error message back, that's fine. Okay. But if if the employee doesn't have the app, yeah, I cannot remove the prompt to install. Oh, the so the employee, anyway. oh. the so if I'm being <laughs> nosy, I want to say, hey, do you have do you have Dropbox? Know, psych. The employee is going to see, uh, hey, the MDM admin wants to install this app, so you won't get away with it. That's a very, <laughs> that's a very tough way to go ahead and really find out, hey, do this. they have this app? So, so, so you, you you can't. So if the user sees like your MDM admin wants to install this uh, not safe for work app, they'll go down to the help desk and say, uh, hey, what what exactly are you doing here? Yeah. So to me, to me, this whole setup and that whole flow feels very much like a 1.0 feature, right? WWDC 2020. This is prediction three for Aaron. I never make predictions, but I'm making predictions today. You're really putting it all out there. 2020, Apple comes out with a multiple multiple persona API. Well, just like Notes works today. Separate, right? Just like Notes works. I mean, Apple does it on their own first, and then they work out the kinks, and then they open up an API. So, and it keeps things partitioned within the app. Because you're not going to see two copies of the app on an iPhone. That has a ring of truth. I think that's a really good prediction. Yeah, the, the 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 switching interface will be the question, um, and and so when you are using this this app, and and maybe there would be an SDK to expose it so that the developer could expose the persona switching within the app. But okay, this is we'll we'll talk about that one in in twenty twenty when it comes. The other <laughs> the other question that I heard some concern about is some enterprises may be. Will they be comfortable with the passcode requirements and cryptographic uh, backstop behind user enrollment? Can you, can you remind us what those are? Yes. So, so what we what we didn't quite mention to yet is that user enrollment will create a separate APFS volume on the device. Um, it'll be encrypted separately from the user data, and this volume will contain data. Anything stored by the managed apps or like the the notes that are associated with the managed Apple ID, keychain entries, mail attachments and bodies, calendar at- attachments, and anything associated with an MDM managed app or account or, or data will go in this separate APFS volume. And and so the, the, the question is, some people will be concerned that, okay, this is all only being protected by a, a six-digit passcode. So just to, just to clarify here, only allowing a six-digit passcode, I think, is is uh, not very precisely put. It's that if the MDM is going to enforce a passcode, the MDM can only enforce, enforce a six-digit passcode. But the user has the option of making a more complex passcode. They, they, the, the MDM just can't require it. Because we can't help them out when they forget their passcode. Yeah. We cannot unlock. There's no clear passcode for privacy. Yeah. So the MDM can't clear your passcode because then the MDM can get into your phone. Like if I grab your phone and I'm the MDM administrator and I confiscate your personal phone, then I can clear it and get into your data. And they want to make sure that can't be done. 
So that can be done today. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the question that Jack asked is, is it safe enough? Will some admins, you know, reject this? Uh, because it's not, you know, cryptographically uh, sound enough. And Apple's answer is, uh, read our uh, iPhone and security white paper because that will tell you why the sweet spot is six digits, non-simple passcodes. And 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 also there's there, there's an argument that like if you're having national secrets or 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 whatever that you care about that much on the phones, then then yeah, just just give somebody a second supervised device anyway. You know, they if, if if you're that concerned about your data, you shouldn't probably shouldn't be doing BYOD. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's other there's other things that can be enforced, right? I mean it's you know, just because that's your passcode and you have a partition and your apps belong there doesn't mean that that's now accessible. You can have multiple layers of passwords in there. You can require every we we didn't talk about it, but the single sign-on, and you know, you can have your AD password to get anywhere inside of that as well, which is a second layer. We're not. I mean, the, the, right? That, that's so. that's my favorite rebuttal to uh, any security argument. It's like all you have to say is like, "Come on, defense in depth." I I don't really worry. I also, you know, it's it's within Apple's. This we're we're in beta one of iOS thirteen, right? Yeah. I mean, we have a few months left to go, and if this is the noisiest feedback, it's really easy for Apple to say, okay, we'll allow complex passcodes too. Seven digits. Yeah. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> yeah, six yeah. digits plus the letters A and B and C. So you know, I mean, they can do anything they want, and it's there's there's room for that. I'm not making well, a prediction though. <laughs> So let's let's move on to managed Apple IDs. Uh, Russ, you want to tell us about how these work? So uh, managed Apple IDs have existed for a while, but they've they've been for ASM. Oh, by the way, I heard them What's saying ASM. I, I heard them saying ABM ASM all over the place. Yeah. It used to be Apple was very strict about using abbreviations, but now it seems like Apple marketing says it's okay to say ABM and ASM. So Apple Business Managers ABM. ASM is Apple School Manager. Apple School Manager had this concept of managed Apple IDs for students. Um, so, you know, uh, admins could uh, use them to deploy apps and content and things like that to students. Then they became available for Apple Business Manager, I guess, around last year sometime, iOS 12. And those were just used at the time really for logging into Apple Business Manager, um, not really for downloading apps and stuff like that. Now Apple Business Managers are going to uh, – now uh, MAIDs, Managed Apple IDs, new acronym for you, not MAIDs. MAIDs. Yes. They're not, we're yeah. not going to call them MAIDs. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, now, ma- now MAIDs are going to – the Me Too movement. Okay, yeah. we're three dudes on a podcast. We're not talking about MAIDs. Hey, I didn't make, I didn't make that acronym. <laughs> no. So now managed Apple IDs are going to be used very prominently uh, in user enrollment. So uh, you'll be able to create these in Apple Business Manager either by doing it locally or integrating Apple Business Manager to Azure Active Directory. So um, a tie-in to Microsoft. We've seen a couple of these recently from, from Apple. Um, it'd be great to see some other IDPs available like Okta or Prediction. Ping. Yeah. <laughs> but th- <laughs> this, this at least is the first one. And so if you don't want to create, if you have 10,000 people that are going to do, uh, UEMDM, I don't think you want to create 10,000 of those locally. So you would integrate into Azure Active Directory today. And then that those, those identities would be able to you uh, to be leveraged as maids. And then when you enroll using UEMDM, 
Um, you must input this identity uh, as part of your enrollment. We're not using UDID anymore. And that is actually, uh, you know, pushed down into the profile yeah. that managed Apple ID. And you can install apps with, with that managed Apple ID. And we can deploy apps using VPP to that uh, managed Apple ID, although you can't do device-based app ass uh, assignment. So no silent install in UEMDM. So the, the, this managed Apple ID, uh, a, a few thoughts. The first is that, okay, you can very easily see the parallel of the way that um, a, a managed Google account is required for Android enterprise deployments. So one like that should be we should be used to this idea now and and again hopefully they'll open the federation up to um you know to 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 other options other idps the the other question was i believe the the demos that they showed of this user enrollment process it was just a uh, username and and password but if i'm doing mfa or uh, authenticator app based enrollments or, or or something like that i'm assuming will will those be supported as well that's a great question yeah. jack <laughs> that's a really really good question let's they, do another podcast later <laughs> i don't think any of us know they talk, they talked about it for you know for device enrollment they well so the federated authentication i did read a document it's like well it's the same passcode right so there's there's a couple of questions in my mind that I have about this process that I don't have answers yet and hope and I I am sure we're going to have answers sometime soon but you know one question is is the managed apple id the same as your corporate email address or is it different I have a pretty strong prediction there about or understanding of that which is different from most people that that managed Apple ID is not going to be the same as your corporate email address. There's a really high probability that you already have an Apple ID with your corporate email address and it's not managed. And so when you create the managed Apple ID, it's got to be different. It's, it's think of it not as an email address. It looks like an email address, but it's just a text string. It's an identifier, right? It's just, it has to be unique in Apple's universe, which means if you already had a Jack at brianmadden.com Apple ID, do you? No, because my Apple ID has always been associated with a with a personal account. But but I, I very much see what you could mean. If I if I'm if I had happened to create an Apple ID with jmadden at techtarget.com and suddenly suddenly we, we try Federation, then that's then that breaks. And if any one of your employees has that, it, it's different for one employee than for does others. It, does it break? Dropbox is an example of this because obviously when, when Dropbox goes in to sell a corporate customer, they, they can see like if, if, if they go in to sell um, ground control, uh, <laughs> for example, example. They, there's like a dozen ground control employees and they're probably already, even if you're not officially on Dropbox, there's probably like at least half a dozen at ground control email address is uh, tied to accounts in Dropbox. Right. But Dropbox has something that Apple doesn't. Which Dropbox exactly. has the ability to absorb accounts into a master domain and to combine and merge accounts into one area. Apple doesn't. Apple has never had the ability to merge and Apple IDs together. Any of us who've... I mean, I daily work with up to 10 Apple IDs that are me. But that different services, my developer account, my second developer account, my other role at the developer account for doing it the right way, the DEP login is one. And then 
I have legacy VPP accounts because you couldn't reuse them. You needed unique VPP accounts. Those are kind of, I don't use them anymore. They've been absorbed. And then they, we're going to start talking managed Apple IDs. I mean, it, it's like, it's, some of us are kind of crazy. You're special. Yeah, you are kind of crazy. Thank you. I think so too. But, but it's not easy to merge. I mean, there, there might be a way that Apple has in the back office to merge, but there's nothing there. Can an unmanaged a corporate identity become a managed corporate identity? You say it'll break. But maybe it won't. It's a really big question. Well, today, managed Apple IDs exist in Apple Business Manager. You could create them and you say, this is your domain and it's verified. It's ours is groundctl.com. And then there's a checkbox that says, add Apple ID dot as a subdomain to that. Yep. And that's not an email address. That email address ain't going to work, you know, if somebody sends email to appleid.groundcontrol.com. But it's there to create this uniqueness. So I think there's a strong chance of that. And that's how schools are being set up. If that is the case, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, most people that were, were assuming that, it, that it's not that way. And so if that is the case, that my managed Apple ID has to be something that's not even a real email address that I've never heard of before. As an end user, that's, oh boy, now, now you're out to like, send everybody the 10 page long enrollment PDF about how to enroll. And <laughs> I don't agree with Aaron on this one. Well, but, I, the, but here's, here's the question that I have, right? I mean, if you have that app and this is, this is why I'm, I, one of the questions I have, if I do have the Apple ID dot domain dot com as my managed Apple ID and for user enrollment, I have to use that to sign in and it's somehow federated to my account. Does that mean I'm putting in my regular password in with this weird Apple ID with this looks like an email address that's not mine? It gets to be a really tricky situation. It depends what you key yeah. off. When, when you Again, do an integration to Azure Active Directory, you can say, I want it to be for all of dollar the, sign email, dollar sign. For all or, the Apple employees yeah. listening to this podcast, the world wants to know and we want to <laughs> see a demo video of this. Please show us what the ideal behavior is. Because, you know, we're losing sleep guessing, <laughs> you know, meaninglessly. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah, I know. Russ, look at, he's lost all his hair uh, over this. I know. It's really sad. I know. So we'll, we'll find out. There'll be videos and there'll be more videos. And like September when, when all this stuff comes out and, and, and everybody's there with their, their day, day one support, we can uh, hopefully have another podcast and be like, great, all of these questions have been answered. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. That's optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> J zero. Yeah. I, I, I really, I really predict there's not, and no, no, I'm not going to predict. There's too many predictions, but I, I think we're going to see minimal support for, for a minimal feature set from the MDMs on day one. We're not going to see full support of everything. There's too much. There's too many changes. I mean, if, if, you know, same right. Apple's taken more than a year to work on it. They're not. They're, they're giving very little time to, to the vendors. To well, for MDM day zero support, I mean, It'll work it's with iOS so, 13. Yeah, yeah. This brand new authentication method, user mm -hmm. enrollment that yeah. has never been used before. That might take a little longer to get up to speed. Well, we'll, right. we'll see. I'm sure we'll be working hard on it. There's a number of other changes. Like you can't use UDID anymore. Now you have to look at this managed Apple ID. There's there's a lot of warnings that they threw up in their um, in their video this year about things that you need to change. Yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see. Um, we're investing in it. Do do I yeah. got a stupid question because I'm not an MDM, but what? does MDMs charge per device? MDMs do charge per device, and sometimes how they, know how many sometimes they charge per user, and sometimes they have an end, end user licensing agreement where they sell them every product under the sun. So if you don't have that identifier, like if if I 
enroll in MDM and then remove myself and enroll again, oh. I'm going to get a new identifier. I think all the MDMs probably, <laughs> they, they count devices differently. So I, I've heard this come up in a couple blogs, like, aren't the MDMs going to get screwed up around, you know, how they, how they, uh, make more how, money. How they count devices. I mean, I this don't think, giant giveaway to I MDMs. don't think that's the only way that we count devices, <laughs> but I, I don't know. That's not the biggest, yeah. license enforcement is, is uh, not the, you know, the biggest concern. Um, it's, you know, it's all the other changes and, and development that, that needs to be get done, but it's exciting work and, um, you know, it's, it's good. stuff that's going to yep. help us. So we're, we're investing heavily in it. I just think it's fabulous that we've spent <laughs> like the last, my company has been the last three years really working to convince people and, and people have understood don't use Apple IDs on supervised devices. You don't need to. You can use device-based app assignment. You don't have to have an Apple ID there. Prevent an Apple ID from going on there. It's better. And now we're saying, oh, now you can have two. Yeah. No, now you have to. I think uh, I think <laughs> You actually, have to have two Apple that'll, IDs. That'll be a little bit of a challenge if you've invested heavily in device-based app assignment and you want to install apps yeah. silently. Uh, well, like if you want to install apps without requiring a login to iTunes or whatever it is, Apple App Store. You can't do that anymore. You're gonna yeah, you're yeah, gonna have to authenticate. I think, I think, I think we're gonna but be. Aren't, aren't we talking? Aren't we talking opposite ends of the spectrum? We're talking. Um, we are. Yes. User absolutely. enrollment versus uh, versus uh, automated device enrollment, which is one of the things that I've been trying to. Like, like every time when when MDM gets in the news, like when they were that thing a, a few weeks ago with the with the, the family stuff and everyone's talking about MDM as one monolithic thing. Well, really it's well at that time it was MDM versus supervised versus versus DEP. And so now it's like, I, I would tell everybody MDM is not one thing. MDM is the umbrella for user enrollment, device enrollment, or automated device enrollment with supervision. So right. many layers to the onion. Uh, well, there's others. There's yeah, others we yeah. don't even bother talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, you have Mac enrollment. Mac's going to have user enrollment. Mac has device enrollment. Mac has user-approved MDM as well. You know, we never really talk about it, but, you know, schools have access to shared iPads, which is a, yet another thing. So there's this whole thing on Macs and shared iPads about whether – you're talking to the device channel or the user channel. I mean, things can get really complex oh, in yeah. here. And that's just Apple. <laughs> so if you don't know anything about this, you listeners at home, you're very lucky. It's just yeah. it's just a much simpler. This is complex enough. There's like so many things we can talk about here, and it's only scratching the surface of, yeah, of but MDM, what MDM means today. MDM is easy. It's a commodity. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Let's talk about identity yeah. management. Yeah. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about the security layers. We consider ourselves a security platform more than anything these days. We talk about UEM and MDM, but that's the baseline. That's your policy engine. And then we build on top of that. So, but, you know, Apple's important though for us, you know, they, that's how we got our start. That's where we, that's what we first started managing. And that's, that's what your business is built around Apple. And um, still, most of the devices in the enterprise are Apple, even though there's more Android out there. There's still there's still iOS devices, so but I diverge. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the the, the reverie. Uh, uh, so 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 next on on a still related topic, automated device enrollment with authentication. So this is something that we just have a lot of questions about. So maybe there's not. Too much more to say about it at this point. Give any answers, right? Right. Lots of questions or a few answers. So all we know is that, you know, Apple has stated that 
you can now use modern auth uh, when it comes to doing a device enrollment. So a couple of other enhancements there also mentioned in the same sentence. Um, you can now have a customized web page uh, when you do a device enrollment uh, or an automated device enrollment they showed a using, picture of that. using ABM. You can set your yeah. own your own image and terms text of terms of service I, I, as I'm, you're enrolling a DEP device. The word DEP is not going to go away. And modern and modern off. So that's, to that's me, I, I assume that if you're using you know Okta, Ping, One Login, Microsoft ADFS. That's how you authenticate all of the rest of your users. Um, now you'll be able to do that during a, a device enrollment. That's my assumption. We'll find out more, I think. So you have that web view there, and you can put that web view, whatever you want in that web UI. But then there has to be a way of passing the authorization back to either the MDM server or the device or Apple or, or somewhere. Something that's in that ADE process is going to have to get the signal back from the from the IDP. Let's be clear. That point in the device login process is you're using credentials that really are, are on the MDM server. So most of us would log into our DEP device with an AD credential. Apple doesn't, previous to iOS 13, doesn't integrate with with Active Directory or anything like that. That's that's the MDM system that's integrated, that's that's bound to the AD. So that password has always gone directly to um, to the MDM. And so if that web page were hosted on the MDM, then there could be like a SAML system or something like that where the MDM then, in, as the SAML service provider, redirects to whatever your identity provider is, shows that as a web page, and you're able to sign in and then come back and then, then the token is there to say, yes, here, here's the assertion of the identity of, of this user. And then the MDM just has to signal back to the setup process on the phone. We're good. Keep going. The yep. phone doesn't know who the person is who just logged in. The MDM does. And so actually, I don't think that's particularly hard. I don't know if they've we do that, that today. Up, I mean, we, we do that today for an enrollment, uh, what they call device enrollment now. Yeah. So BYOD enrollment. Okay. Um, so you can, you can use your Okta or One login or ADFS credential to, or Azure AD to actually enroll a device. Yeah. Um, we, but we don't do it for a device enrollment, for automated device enrollment using ABM. We just skip that part of the process. So we would, you know, maybe we would just turn that back on and it would work. Sure. It's a good thing. Only time it's will tell. It's a good tell. thing. I mean, the, the alternative, you know, people have been coming up with these alternatives. So so Intune has modern authentication for DEP enrollment without it being directly supported by Apple. And so the way that works is that they tell Apple to skip authentication. And so you go through the pages and, and Apple doesn't prompt you for a name and password to start remote management. It skips that. Uh, well, you press next. And then Intune, the device, it's DEP, so the device is supervised. Intune puts down what's called the corporate portal. Um, and I think I got this right. Uh, as, and puts it in single app mode. So the first thing that you see is an app in single app mode and nothing else. And that has name and password. And if you have two-factor authentication, then it the third screen, the next screen is the two-factor authentication. Or you can use one-time password there. You can do whatever. And then it unlocks the device and allows you to put the apps down and everything like that. It's a really good idea. We should have been doing that all this time. Apple yeah, we research, have all that technology. Man. Come on. So, <laughs> so this what the, what what Apple has done is basically take the same idea, but but have that authentication earlier to allow that to be part of that process. So it's a bit more natural feeling, and it'll be consistent. 
and it'll allow companies like Mobile Iron to offer the same services that Microsoft does. Next up on the list, we have the single sign-on extensions. Aaron, why didn't you tell us what you figured out about these? Well, this is another case. Apple actually uh, and said during one of the WWDC sessions that there will be a video specifically on the uh, on this topic, um, but I haven't seen that yet. I don't know if you guys have. Um, I don't know if it's actually been released yet. Hopefully soon, because there wasn't a lot of information. The idea here, as far as I can tell, is to make it really easy for app developers to modify their apps and adopt standard single sign-on in a corporate environment. If you have an app and it already supports SAML, whether it be, I mean, it could be in a web view. Obviously, we would prefer it to be using it in... Um, AS web authentication session. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, we'd prefer it to be the latter way. If your app already is using SAML... It, You're ahead of the game, but there's some cool, good news in there for you too. But let's get back to that, okay? Um, because you're already working in SAML and that's good. And, you know, SAML is kind of the industry standard in most companies, but, you know, consumer stuff tends to use more OAuth to get permission from one place to another. Nobody uses SAML in consumer. Here, here we've, we've been pushing independent app vendors in, in um, healthcare, especially to adopt SAML over the last year. And it's hard. It's, it's actually, it's a really hard thing because if you're, if you're an app developer, whether you're a, you know, especially if you're a small shop, but even if you're kind of a medium or large shop, you know, most, most app developers, they all got Macs. They don't necessarily have an active directory infrastructure that they're in. They haven't really, they're not, they don't have the same infrastructure as their customers. And what that is really important with is that they can't really test the environments that their customers have because they're just a lot smaller companies. I can say this ourselves. I mean, ground control, we got, we got 15 people or so. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, we do our best, but we, there's no way we can have every single Wi-Fi network and everything in there. So to create the infrastructure for SAML is, is not hard if you started in an entire Microsoft ecosystem and you've got engineers who understand tokens and things like that and XML and, and, but if you're an independent app developer, it's really hard. And we've worked with a couple of places that have done it and successfully, but they've needed help. And at the same time, who are they going to ask for help? To say, hey, help us do SAML. I mean, maybe they'll reach out to Okta, Ping, you know, Mobile Iron, VMware, and say, can you help us? But I, there's not really developer relations for those companies so much. Maybe some of them do have it. But let's take a step back from that. Apple announced this, but in the big stage, and Tim Cook made this huge splash about something called sign in with Apple, right? And I assume that everybody on the podcast have heard about this a little bit. It's the idea is instead of signing with Facebook or signing with Google, you can click sign in with Apple. And then in the back end flip to you'll see a web system, or maybe it's a native app, and you'll switch to Apple's page and log in with your Apple ID. Now, of course, your phone knows your Apple ID already. So your phone gates the app, the identification, then then that passes to to the app. And Apple, of course, made it really easy for everybody to adopt, for every app developer to, to adopt sign in with Apple. So it's just a couple of lines of code that you need to do sign in with Apple. Well, here's the cool thing is that that same framework that does sign in with Apple can also be used now with single sign on for enterprise sign on. And it's the same few lines of code that any app developer can add 
And if the app developer is focused on consumers, they'll use sign with Apple. If the app developer is focused on enterprise, they'll use this single sign-on extension framework. But it's it's really there's one line different between doing it the one way and doing it the other. And and that's that's where they they specified like in the 303 session from the the, the product or end user view, sign on with Apple, sign in with Apple and SSO extensions are completely different things. You know, they they mentioned that like you won't be able to use a managed Apple ID with sign in with Apple and from that end they're completely different, but you're saying from the app developer perspective like if you want to get That's this right. Yeah. Well, just just think about the end goal here. I mean, the the goal, Apple's goal with sign in is, with Apple is to basically obscure your identity for the the whoever's requesting the credentials, right? So, um I don't know of an example. Some website wants me to sign up. Sign in with Apple will invent a fake email address and give it to them. That's not going to work for enterprise. You really need to know who I am, right? It's a totally different thing. I'm not just a number to you. You really need to know that I'm me and who I am, and you need to know my name. So the sign in with Apple is not for enterprise at all. So everybody stop thinking about that and unconfuse yourself. It'll be much easier this way. So this is is the way to to, to think about it. So the different purposes. But it's the same process. I want to click a button and sign in once on my device, or maybe my device already knows who I am and have that happen. So sign in with Apple is going to pop up some face ID to confirm who I am or whatever like that. What does the single sign-on extension pop up? And this is where it's really, really cool because in order for like the old way of doing it, if if I am an app developer and I wanted to put SAML in my app, I had to create this whole backend server infrastructure to talk to the enterprise server. And I had to put all this configuration in there as well and exchange certificates with this other company and have them signed. And then it's not that easy because there are about 40 different checkboxes that I might have to check to get it all working. Yep. So I had to build all of that capability into my front end and back end infrastructure. With this new Apple thing, it's just a couple lines of code. And I don't have to, have to know anything about SAML. And if they're not using SAML and using OAuth, then I don't have to worry about it. And if they're not using that and they're using some other technology in the future, I don't have to worry about that because what I'm doing is offloading all of this actual authentication code to another party, to to an extension. And so the extension might come from the identity provider. So extension is going to be installed on the phone. It'll become packaged as an app, but then it'll install as an extension. But I think we'll see like a generic SAML extension, for example, like an open source free SAML plugin for iPhone is is one of the ideas a prediction yeah you're, yeah 12 for you <laughs> so today or something but that extension now also needs the configuration of the company it needs to know it's in a saml extension isn't enough yeah ha- then you still have to exchange that data well the cool thing that apple did is a third piece so they got the extension they got the code for the app and then there's a third piece which is a configuration profile which says here's all of the configuration info you need for an extension to connect to me and so they've basically extracted all of these different parts, the configuration, the authentication code, and the app, and separated it to make them all interchangeable. Basically, is a really uh, elegant system for having any app be part of this single sign-on process. Now, when we talk about SAML, we almost always... If you've used SAML, you know, you just you type in a name and a password into a web page. You type in a name and a password into a web page. Well, and it can do that. But you can also say, hey, look in my 
iPhone keychain because maybe it already has a name and a password and don't even show it this, this dialogue, right? It can just silently reach into the keychain, find who my identity, and then and then use that. It can also just use my face ID to just prove I am who I am in there and maybe leverage that managed Apple ID for that for that process or use touch ID. So there's this like modern ways of authenticating. So it's not just passwords anymore. So then going back to your example of what about the app that has been doing it the right way and pops up a web page and has me sign in with my name and password? There's actually built into the single sign-on extension, Apple intercepts that request and can show an alternative page and the app developer didn't have to change a thing. So you can now have face ID in this page and that never had it before and it's much cooler. Well, so so here here's my here's my question. So for so of course this requires the extensible SSO MDM profile to to put everything together. So for the the app developer, if the app developer says, "Okay, I don't want to deal with all the SAML stuff. I I'll, I'll just use the the extension," and um, but they have to assume that the audience for the app is going to be. Apple devices that are enrolled in MDM, and so for you, if if they want their if they want to build single sign-on for their users that don't have Apple devices or aren't going to be enrolled or or whatever, then they'd have to like build support for that whole SAML stack anyway, wouldn't they? Um, I guess so. Did Apple think about that? I mean, it's like, yeah, that's not Apple's problem. Buy an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I like. I I think of the like. This is nice to have if you are building apps that you know that you know the audience to be enrolled, managed iOS and macOS devices because this works on macOS too. But if you're if you're the developer, if you're an ISV of of whatever SaaS app of the of the month, you should still be implementing SAML for all of those other scenarios. Yeah, and, and I think the expectation of SAML is still going to be in the back end, right? I mean, yeah. in those cases, the extension is going to connect to SAML, but the interface it shows you might not be a web page anymore. It might be a native iOS interface that's a lot prettier and integrates with the keychain and integrates with Face ID. Right, so, right. so, and again, that's the abstraction that Apple's enabled here is to be able to use the user interface of the iPhone, which users trust, hopefully they trust more than a web page, right? And and be able to connect that to uh, interfaces like the protocols like SAML that never anticipated mobile devices yep. and, uh, ID, you yeah. know, Swift UI frameworks and Touch ID and Face ID, right? I mean, SAML is is all web-based. This this connects those two pieces. So, so here's a question. So do we want to do the whole conversation about how... Um, so that the Apple is creating uh, a version of the extension for macOS that will support Kerberos and can be used um, in in some way to um, do Active Directory integration, or should we just like assume that at some point in the next few months that like the Mac Admins podcast will do a like a show with uh, with Joel Rennick or something? And <laughs> I'm sure they will, but I, I mean, I have a question for everybody. Does, do enterprises use Kerberos anymore? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I'm just showing my corner of the world, but well, they you know they've invested in that Kerberos infrastructure. They uh, they've Kerberos enabled their backends when they're especially when they're Microsoft shops, and yeah, you know, Microsoft IIS and things like that. 
uh, and they use it for email and um, and they use it for file servers and they use it for web services primarily. Okay. Uh, and you know the original use case was um, they had a very expensive problem of AD users getting lo- uh, locked out of Active Directory when you tried to log in too many times to your email with the wrong uh, username and password. Mm. KCD solved that problem. It required some investment in the back end. KCD like, is Kerberos. Kerberos constrained delegation. Uh, I'm okay. sorry. Kerberos. Um, so, yeah, uh, we we still have a lot of customers that have invested in that and deployed it. Okay. The thing is, uh, there's an upfront investment, and then it just works really beautifully. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, Jack, what you're referring to there is part of the presentation where, you know, Apple came up and, and talked about this. This is so. What was interesting to me was that that no, but he was from Apple Professional Services. So so this came from a project called Enterprise Connect, which which a division within Apple, which is a professional services thing, would write this software and they created it. This was this is not like Apple's core development team. This is like the professional services part has their own software engineers and created something that they kind of just licensed to certain customers. This was not something on the Apple like. You're not going to go to the app store and download this software, I think. So, and then this has been adopted and integrated and absorbed into iOS, which is, and Mac OS, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. So this idea of system management of that Kerberos infrastructure and those credentials, and then how each app can just grab that identity. And if they need the identity and you're not logged in, then the system knows and wakes up and pops up a dialogue to log in. Yep. And it's just a really nice, elegant way to do things. So good job to Apple Professional Services for coming up and get nursing this idea to uh, to everybody. Agreed. Yeah, that, that, that was a demo that they showed in that 303 session. And it, it, it was like, there are still, still a lot of questions about that and, and what can be done on the iOS side and and what does this mean for, for products like Nomad and Jamf Connect and Mosul Auth? And I'm looking forward to having more conversations with people across the industry on, on that one. Um, I'm going, personally, I'm going to the Identiverse, uh, which is Ping Identities Conference in a couple of weeks. So I'm sure that will be a big topic there as well. So, okay, so um, shall we talk about, uh, we can talk about custom apps, we can talk about iPad OS, we can talk about the new documentation and, and, and the, the other things. There's one thing we skipped uh, that I wouldn't mind just focusing on just for a minute, which is um, when we talked about the managed Apple ID, we didn't talk about this whole uh, creation of iCloud for business, uh, you know, space up uh, somewhere up in Apple's cloud. And the fact that, you know, when you're doing user enrollment, it's automatically going to create uh, an enterprise workspace in, in Apple's cloud and there'll be stuff up there that enterprises might want to control. And actually, that's one thing I don't understand yet, which is how, you know, what are the enterprise controls for uh, iCloud for Business? And and at the same time, with, with iPadOS, there's also uh, USB storage access. I don't, I don't know if either of you happen to see any restrictions that mentioned that yet. There's five new restrictions that I saw, and I no, none of them mentioned that. Uh, iCloud for Business also, I didn't I didn't see any you know, specific restrictions or, or, or ways to get into iCloud for Business for an enterprise admin. Um, but I also really wonder, like, you know, what's going to go up there? We know, you know, uh, the the Notes app is going to copy some stuff up there. The Files app, um, the Keychain is going to be up there. 
Uh, but I'm also really wondering, like, is Apple now taking a stab at uh, G Suite? Are we going to see the productivity suite of apps like Keynote? Are we going to see collaboration in iCloud for business? It really makes me wonder where they're going with iCloud for business. And, you know, are they, you know, how are they going to monetize that? Well, that that, that one, um, Ryan Fass wrote an article about that a couple months ago that like, hey, Apple is sitting on this whole collaboration suites that that they could be using but i don't know it, it just seems like a really long a really long road to go down and yes we do have we do have a lot of questions about how this um icloud drive for business will work and that just seems like a really long road to go down and i don't see that th- that being a big thing anytime soon we'll see baby steps yeah I mean, yeah. even... I mean, it's it's there's iCloud file sharing and then there's iCloud the pieces that just make all of the Apple devices talk to each other and work together really well. Right? There, there is there are three companies with collaboration suites in the cloud right now: Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. Where is Apple really there? They're not. I work, man. Come on. From a from do you okay? <laughs> how many companies do you see buying the the i no, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue. I think yeah. I think that may or may not be something in the future i don't you know i look it's it's interesting apple's apple's about services right they've announced it you trust what they say on face value uh really interesting indicator for me is this idea of user enrollment and they have one device with two personas instead of two devices the old apple would have said and said buy two phones Right. Because that actually is more profitable for Apple and it keeps everything clear and simple and separated. The new Apple is saying, no, buy one phone. So we're not selling you a second phone. Maybe we'll upgrade your phone or something. You'll buy a new one more quickly or something. But then where's the services? Where is the revenue from this? Apple doesn't charge for device enrollment program. Right. I mean, where where is the fees that's going to be there? And I'm not trying to say this cynically. But I mean, there is a strategy there, right? I mean, it's part of its app store stuff, but there might be something else. Maybe it is the cloud. Like that's, that's where everybody else makes their money. So, you know, maybe it'd be interesting kind of just to watch and see where the, there's an expression, but you know, where the rubber meets the road there or something, right? Yeah. You're going to insert coins at some place. And I, I just assume that for, for now, the, the, the big, the big thing to worry about is, Getting user enrollment to work and <laughs> going back to well, basics here. Let's... <laughs> no, that's true. That's step one. I mean, if we know one thing about Apple, yeah. their idea of of how things develop is a little bit longer term than the rest of us think. Yeah. Right. Yep. So we need something tomorrow, and they like, all right, let's let's talk in two years. And we're gonna have it really worked out for you. So should we should we talk about custom apps? Uh, yeah, it's look, if you want to know about custom apps, look at B2B apps today. Not everybody knows too much about B2B apps. So there's, there's the the kinds of apps that Apple has, there's public apps, and then there's in-house apps, which you compile and distribute yourselves. Public apps are well-known. Apple looks at their code and uh, I mean, they, not really the code, but you know, they, they look at what they do and they can examine them and they reject it or accept it. Um, that's the walled garden of the of the app store, right? Um, enterprise apps or in-house apps is really kind of anything goes and they're only supposed to be, they're not distributed through the app store. You typically distribute them through MDM, but you can distribute them on a web server anywhere. By contract, they're only allowed to be used by your own employees, but that hasn't stopped some companies from bending that rule. That's been in the news recently with uh, with Facebook and Google and with, um, you know, as, as part of, 
there, there are times when you can like just do some Googling and find some somebody out there that uh, abusing an enterprise certificate. Yeah. Well, it's... Apple has the master key. They can just turn it like, um, what was that movie with uh, Mad Max, The Thunderdome? Yeah. They could just shut off the water. For, shut off the water. Yeah, shut off the apps for the entire company, like they did to Google. And they're not. They're not afraid to use this. Yeah, mm-hmm. they they use it. Facebook, but, but that's not. It's a. It's a big. It's a big hammer to put down on 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 this sort of abuse, and it's better to kind of encourage people to do things the right way. So anyway, for years, Apple's had this other this third method of distributing apps, which the idea is to solve this problem. Let's say. Russ is an app developer and I'm a company and I want to have an app for my employees. So I hire Russ as an independent contractor to make an app for me. Now, Russ is going to develop this with Russ's certificate from Apple. And so my employees are not Russ's employees. So we're not allowed to do enterprise deployment of that app. But at the same time, this is very specific to me. I don't want Russ to put my app on the public app store so everybody gets it. So how do I make it so that I can hire Russ but have my employees get that app? And that's called B2B apps. And the new name for that is custom apps. Um, And it's it's been growing in popularity. My company has two apps that we distribute through B2B apps. Other companies I've seen in the industry do it this way. There's some big advantages to deploying apps this way you get a lot of benefits that public apps normally get like caching services like being able to do app config like being able to um have certificates that automatically renew have the auto update infrastructure in there so apps automatically update by themselves yep. which you don't get most of that stuff through the enterprise apps for years i i assumed it was always the assumption that russ would send you an unsigned ipa then you would sign it with your enterprise certificate and distribute it and and for for years and years i mean i went a really long time without really meeting any real live b2b users out there in the wild everyone just did sure send me the unsigned ipa and we'll sign it and, and distribute it but you say use of the b2b store is growing now yeah, it is. and the, the, But the problem with the unsigned IPA is it's a security risk because anybody can sign it and run it, right? I mean, it's not really where you want to go there. And I guess there's ways to strip it and re-sign it and things like that. But the B2B is growing and Apple wants to do it. And they possibly want to, maybe they want to do this because uh, B2B apps are vetted by Apple, similarly to the public app stores. But I think because of the abuse that's been happening, I don't know, we can just guess at the answers. Um, they're trying to encourage everybody to do this this thing called custom apps now, um, which was the B2B, and to use the, this, it's more or less a private app store to be able to have your own apps that are unique to your company or a subset of companies. They don't have to be paid. They can be free. You know, And in fact, most of the ones I've seen are free because you're paying somebody on the side a subscription for these things. Really, what's interesting to me is that the um, in-house apps... I think are notorious for being poorly written because whenever Apple has this update of one OS to another, we have so many customers that say, can we delay the update? Don't do the yeah, update because our so apps common. are all going to break. Yep. And there are all these in-house apps that were just not written well. And I don't know why, but maybe if we have those apps go through Apple's vetting process and Apple tests them, I have my fingers crossed that we'll have a higher standard to meet and they won't break as often. I'm hoping. Yeah. yeah. I'm hoping because that this is actually going to solve a really big industry problem. They're going to resist it, but I think it's a really good thing for everybody to do this. I agree. You know, we haven't mentioned uh, Google 
very much during this podcast, but Google Play has something similar. Like if you publish an in-house app in Google Play, you use your developer account, which costs 50 bucks a year to de- uh, publish to Google Play. And then you can click a checkbox that says distribute to my organization only. And then you gain a lot of the same advantages that you get with custom apps on iOS, including Google Play Protect. They will actually look at the de- app on the device and see yeah. if it's, you know. Are you saying that Google is copying Apple before Apple comes out with the feature? <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Google, first they went into the future, saw what Apple was going to do, and then they went into the past. Wow. And then they they created the service called Google Play Protect. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool. It was a hot tub time machine, actually. <laughs> that Google has yeah. great technology yeah. like that, don't they? Yeah, you they know. do. <laughs> <laughs> we digressed. <laughs> we, we did digress. Anyway, it's it's worth mentioning. You're going to hear about custom apps. It's 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 a good technology. It's a better name than B2B. We actually, so the funny thing about B2B apps, business to business apps, is that schools didn't get them. And there are companies that sell private apps to schools, but there's also things called, I don't know, teaching hospitals that in Apple's universe are education. And they couldn't get this whole class of apps because schools, which they were classified as, didn't get B2B apps because it has a B in the name. So it, we've had projects delayed for a long time because of that limitation. That's gone as of the fall. Apple's yeah. announced that division's been broken down. The other thing that's also really interesting and actually has, will have an impact on a lot of people is the developer programs are changing. There used to be two developer programs, one for everybody and one for enterprises. And you need to have that. And the regular everybody one was 99 bucks a year and the enterprise one was $199. If you look on Apple's site, there's no enterprise developer program there. The pages are still there. You have to Google them to find it. It's not linked anymore. It looks like, again, no inside knowledge, but Apple's kind of deprecated that program and wants everybody to do that. The difference is the enterprise program is needed for the in-house apps, but the everybody program is fine for custom apps. You need So again, trying to encourage the businesses to do the custom apps and with the managed apple id not a me you you now get access to apple c for it and all yeah this that's developer true. documentation that's true. Yeah. so like yeah could have thousands of people in your organization that yeah. are now oh my god downloading beta software right yeah that's right yes <laughs> so let, there there's a whole grab bag of of other topics that um that, that, that we could talk about one one that I'll mention that uh, we've talked about on a couple of previous podcasts is that we did see a new four inch iOS device with the new iPod Touch that was actually a couple of weeks ago. And another thing that's relevant in our world is that iOS 13 is dropping support for iPhone 5S and iPhone 6. I wish I had a list in front of you. I could tell exactly which generations of processors there are. But basically last year when iOS 12 came out, the the last couple of versions of iOS had been supporting basically five generations or five generations. And this supported one more. But um, I guess that, that trend wasn't continuing. And so iOS 13 drop support for two generations of processor at once. But still, the support is, I mean, you, you can still get five years out of the device. So that's still pretty good. Yeah. And of course, you know, those devices don't stop working. They keep working with iOS 12. Yeah. I mean, I really haven't thought about it too much. I mean, I, I, I saw somebody that I respect making some noise about that. Yeah. But, you know, again, maybe this is a little bit just myopic of me, but there's a 
some important technology differences between the iPhone 6 and 6S. And if you do anything with VoIP, you're already running iPhone 6S. There's different hardware in there and the Wi-Fi mm. works with the Cisco Fastline stuff. Superficially, it didn't look like a very different device between the 6 and 6S, but under the hood, there's a lot of, of improvements and changing. I don't think this is arbitrary. You know, it's five years. I mean, how many... There are there are lots of enterprises that keep stuff for five years, but maybe they shouldn't. Right, right. And that hardware difference is, uh, is, is, a, is a good point. I, I wasn't aware of that. How about the... The iPod touches. I mean, the, the last time we talked about this, one of the things we mentioned is that like a four-inch screen these days is pretty small. But um, do you have any customers? I'm, I'm sure there must be somewhere that uh, are thinking like, "Great, we're uh, we're we're saved for our four-inch devices for a while." Yeah, I think I think uh, exactly. It's it's that form factor has not changed in how many years is it, Jack? So the iPod Touch form factor. Let, let's see. So that that's that's iPhone five. So that's like two thousand eleven, right? Or or two thousand two thousand twelve. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget. And so it's maybe seven years, yeah. maybe and, longer. And if you do, if you it's, do, it's that's the form yeah. factor. And if right? you do the math on the the processor that the that the that the new iPod Touch has and how many generations of supports processors are typically getting these these days, you're going to be looking at probably a decade of support for that form factor. I mean, the, the older iPod Touch is so old that if Apple hadn't released an update to the iPod Touch the week before WDC, WDC, then iOS 13 wouldn't run on any iPod Touch, right? It's that old. Yeah. So it's yeah. Um, now we know why they timed the announcement that way, right? Yep. The, um, yeah, and the, the, the first thing you do, if that, that is, to me, that whole announcement proves that this is not a consumer device. The first thing you do if you're Apple and you're trying to make a consumer device relevant is you change the form factor. You sex it up. You make it smaller. You make it bigger. You make it Great thinner. Point, you yeah. make it do this. Nothing changed to the millimeter. It's exactly the same. That's because this isn't an, a, a consumer device. It's an enterprise device. This is designed to fit into cases that have barcode readers that are in walls and mounts and wristbands and all these other things. And the cases often cost more than the, the the iPod. And so they want customers to keep upgrading. If they change the form factor, they give all of those customers in retail and in healthcare and in hospitality a reason to say, hmm, maybe now's the time I should switch to Android. Yep. So you got you to gotta keep the form factor. So, you know, unfortunately, that's it. Fortunately, hey, the new iPod is a lot better than the old one it's able to do ar stuff it's able to do new cool stuff you know yep. and it's able to run ios 13 and get those benefits is it still 199 dollars? did it go up i have no idea so how much these things cost. it's so reasonable i would say and, <laughs> and you're right like so these companies need to preserve their investments in the sleds i've heard you mention this before that often cost a lot more than the device itself yeah so the so the size has to stay the same, and Apple is saying we are not ceding this market to Android because there is plenty of investment in ruggedized uh, devices and Kosu devices for Android for you know for the retail space and um, logistics and stuff like that. We see big investments over there from companies like Zebra, Sonom, and a host of others, Honeywell. So um, Apple's you know if Apple didn't make that anymore. The signal would have been, you know, to the rest of the world. Yeah. And Android is the operating system that is going to do logistics and and retail, at least on the on the lower end. And Microsoft is now out of it because CE is out of life, and they don't have another product that really fits there at the moment. So, 
Well, okay, so we're we're pushing ninety minutes here. So for the oh my god, oh my goodness, that's way too. <laughs> Ten minutes was too long, Jack. We'll see what happens in the in the editing. But uh, so for the listeners that have held on through all this time, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Um, I always like to use like the one point two five or one point five speed options in my in my podcast app. And- <laughs> So really, it's just sixty minutes. We just hit sixty minutes. That's great. That? that is such a that is such a good idea. I have to try that. Yeah, yeah. But but so so we we covered a lot of ground here because this is a huge MDM release, and we have a lot of questions. But I think we're all um, excited about everything that's going to happen. So I guess for I'll, I'll share my final thoughts first. Is, is that um, Yes, it remains to be seen like how much user enrollment moves the needle on how many people decide to do MDM enrollments. But uh, but overall, I'm 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 excited to see what what uh, what happens. Russ, give me your final thoughts. I mean, I I have to agree with you about user enrollment 100. percent I love to see uh, Aaron's uh, one of his 12 predictions come true, which is um, one would be to actually have you know two MDM profiles uh, on a device so that you could actually cover that last use case that isn't covered by UEMDM, which is the contractor use case that they've already got an MDM on their device, and we just want to manage some apps and give them secure email. And I'm uh, super excited about the SSO stuff. I just think that's going to be a real game changer uh, once we see that. Once we see developers start to build those SSO extensions. Aaron, before you give your your final thoughts, the one thing that I want you to predict is the feature that I wrote about in that article from a couple of years ago that we didn't see. I want do not disturb for my work accounts. Do not bother. That exists on Android on, for, with Android Enterprise and user control where they can they, just... There's that future time machine again. <laughs> I don't know how they do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Aaron, your final thoughts. Well, I gave some of the predictions. I, I think this is, this is pretty amazing. I think this is obviously stuff. This is not a one-year development cycle within Apple. This has been stuff planning for a long time. So... You know, it, it, it's a reward for the few faithful of us who've had been rooting for Apple for this time where we haven't, you know, we did this podcast last year and we had like three different new restrictions to talk about for 90 minutes. And, you know, this is this is a much bigger thing because we could keep talking all day. Yep. So it's a good thing. Um, and it's it's at the right moment. I'll say what I, I'll repeat what I said earlier that Apple is really differentiating itself on privacy. It's differentiating, differentiating itself from other cloud vendors, from other consumer vendors, from other business vendors and enterprise vendors. And that is a huge thing, right? It's, this is, you have lots of company talking about security, but not privacy. There's a really big difference between the two. And and it it's gonna work. I mean, it's it's like they own it. They own that word right now, yeah. and and it's been a relatively short amount of time where they really went full throttle on this. And I think we're gonna see that pay off in a big way. Okay, with that, I will say thank you very much to both of you for joining me on the podcast. This has been an absolute pleasure as always. And to all of our listeners, uh, thank you very much for joining.